0: You're listening to a recent sermon from a Covenant Church worship experience. For more information, you can find us online at covenantchurch.us. There are stories in the Bible that stand out above others. These legendary events are marked with valiant heroes who overcame impossible odds to claim the victory. This message is from part one of our series, Legendary, where we are learning about the life of King David, whose story is more than just a classic. It is legendary. And now here is our lead pastor, Pastor Travis Davenport.
1: Well, hey, I want to welcome you this morning to Covenant. My name's Travis. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you. I get to serve as the lead pastor here. I get to, and I'm humbled and I'm honored to do it. I love it. It's an awesome privilege every week to speak to you speak life into you. And I'm really excited. We're starting a new series today entitled Legendary. Legendary. And there's there's just, for me, a couple stories that that kind of stick out a little more than others in all of Scripture. Just... I'm not saying they're like extra biblical. I'm just saying they kind of stick out a little more for me, maybe than other people. So I was raised in church. Um, my dad's a pastor. My my mom has has been married to my dad for forever, and I think I was literally born inside church and uh, during a sermon. They're like, just stand there for a little bit, man. We have got 20 more minutes with the message, and you can come out right. So I think that's how it happened with me. And uh, sorry for the visual. And. Um, <laughs> And so for me, there were a couple stories that kind of like stuck out a little more than others. Like when I was in Sunday school, we had this thing called Sunday school, right? Any church kids identify? identify? Yeah? Okay. Ooh, okay, a couple of them. Um, we had this thing that was called the felt board in our, in our church, right? If you're a church kid, you know exactly like we got down with that felt board. You know what I'm talking about? There were, there were rooms just filled up with pieces of felt in our church. You know you're having church when you got rooms just filled with felt. You know what I'm talking about? And, uh, yeah, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, don't worry. You're better off. You're just so much better off. And uh, basically this felt board was, I don't know, church's version of Disney Pixar, you know, before it really took place. Um, This is church graphics, like, you know for like the last 3,000 years. We would, we would take different characters and cut them out of felt and they were very high, high quality and very expensive and you would put them on the felt board and you would talk about the story in scripture. So I remember a couple different ones and one of the ones that I definitely remember was Jonah. Jonah was definitely one of the ones that sticks out in my mind basically because Jonah had the coolest felt pieces. First off, he had the whale. The whale was the biggest of all of the felt pieces. Okay? Now this is funny. With the felt Categories. The whale was actually bigger than God. So to me as a kid, this is a big whale. This whale was bigger than the Earth, like in the felt category. Like here would be the Earth, and they talk about creation. And then you slap this nasty whale up there. It's like, whoa, does that exist? My five-year-old brain is not understanding the size of this whale, right? Anyway, so really cool how this animation of felt happened. Um, There would be phase one with the whale swimming. Phase two, with the whale, you would slap another piece of felt up, is the whale opening its mouth. And phase three of the whale, you would slap this other piece of felt, you follow me, is this making sense? I feel like it doesn't at all. Okay. Is the whale would have his mouth open with a man's legs slightly hanging out. And I just thought this was the coolest thing ever. And I would kind of sneak up after class and I'd be like, what if I made the Bible and I took the whale and made him meet people like Abraham and and Jesus and stuff like that. It's crazy, you know, you're like, that's not funny. You weren't raised in church. Okay. <laughs> you get my point. So today what we're doing, we're, we're breaking down the story of, of, of Jonah. Over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna about some, we're gonna be talking about some of these legendary stories. And really what I wanna do is I, I wanna break down or or bring to service, surface rather the humanity of these individuals uh, and separate out the legend from the humanity of these individuals. And that's the real point of what we want to do. And so today we're gonna to begin with Jonah. I want to mention Jonah. Normally there's one thing, right, that comes to people's mind, a big whale, a big fish that eats a man. He survives to tell the tale. I heard a story of of a little girl who was given the, the task or the homework assignment in school of drawing a picture of one of her favorite events in history, right? And so she came to school and she had drawn a picture of a man inside of a big fish, and the teacher said, nah, excuse me, what is this? And she said, oh, this is Jonah. And she said, who's Jonah? She says, Jonah is the man that was swallowed by a whale. And the teacher said, that's preposterous. That never happened. And the little girl, this very little girl, said, oh, it did happen. My, my Bible told me that it happened. And the teacher said kind of snidely, oh, your Bible told you it was so. Oh, well, I guess it must be true. And th- is that how the story goes? And, and the little girl goes, well, you know, I guess someday I'm just going to have to ask Jonah in heaven how the story really went. And the teacher kind of being snide again said, hmm, well, what if you get to heaven and Jonah's not there? And the little girl sat back and thought to herself and she looked at her teacher and earnestly said, well, I guess then you'll have to ask him. (laughs) Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter one. Here we go. You can follow along in scripture. You can follow along on our screen. Open up your your Bible app. Follow along however you want to. Um, I would advise you if you're listening to this on a podcast driving down the highway, please don't open up any three items and just listen, okay? Um, We have a lot who tune in for our podcast. All right, Jonah chapter one, starting verse one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Say Jonah. Jonah. The son of Amittai saying, arise, go to Nineveh. Say Nineveh. The great city, and call out against it, for the evil, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going there, so he paid the fare and went to went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So literally, what we have in this introductory uh, passage of Scripture is God speaking to his man, the prophet. Jonah. Jonah was a prophet called by God, commissioned by God, to go spread the word about God. Uh, understand that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, had not yet come into the world, so God commissioned men to go tell of the coming Messiah. Scripture tells us, how are those who have not encountered the Messiah to be saved pre-Jesus? How are they to, how are they to be saved? And Scripture tells us, by believing in the coming Messiah. And so Jonah's job was to go and tell people of the coming Messiah, and that's how they would be saved. And so God comes and says, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to go, and I want you to tell them about me, and tell them about the coming Messiah. Jonah hears these words, and God kind of exits his speaking, right? And Jonah says, no, (laughs) and literally turns and goes the other way. In fact, he goes down, and he buys uh, a cruise to Tarshish, Now, if you were to understand where Nineveh is and where Tarshish is, at that exact point in time, it would basically be like God coming to you, living in Montana, and saying, hey, Montanian, that that would be your name in in my world, that would be your name, Montanian, and uh, hey, you, I want you to go to California and tell people about me, and you're like, okay, cool, and you go to Pennsylvania. That's the exact equivalent of what Jonah does. Now, we read the story, we're like, wow, Jonah, like, what's his deal? What's his problem? Here's some, here's some historical context. You have to understand who the Ninevites were. Because Jonah hated Nineveh. You get that, right? You're like, yeah, I get it. He went the other way. No, no, no. There's a reason why Jonah hated Nineveh. Nineveh was a part of the Assyrian Empire. And Assyria hated Israelites. They hated Hebrews. They hated Jews. They hated anything that had to do with anybody other than, them, other than themselves. And Nineveh was a part of the Assyrian Empire. In fact, Jonah might have been a little scared to go and talk with people in Nineveh because the Assyrians were famous for their ways that they had of, of torturing and killing people like wow that's a great thing to be famous for right hey we're famous for making great cheese and we're a great country hey we're famous our country's the shape of a boot hey we're famous for how we torture and kill people right that's what the Assyrians and they took pride in that in fact we can't even talk about some of the ways that they that they tortured people they're so gruesome but just to kind of give you a little bit of an idea um, there were rooms that they would set up, and they would fill with ash, and they would put people in those rooms, and they would suffocate very slowly, and over a two-week period, they would, they would die. That's a very bad way to die. They, they would take people and literally skewer them, and then they would skin them alive in front of friends and family while animals came and ate on them. I'm trying not to be too vivid, but these are only the ones that I can share with you or feel comfortable sharing with you on a Sunday. And so Jonah said, no way, God, <laughs> I'm not going there. I hate those people. They want to kill me. They are my enemies. And Jonah goes down and he thinks that he can escape God's presence. Let's see how that turns out. Jonah chapter, chapter one, starting in verse four. Let's see what happens here. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in their ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Dude's a heavy, heavy, heavy sleeper, by the way, okay? (laughs) Heavy sleeper. Verse 6, so the captain came down to him and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Verse 7, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you? A lot of questions in the middle of uh, the Titanic sinking here, okay? Literally. Verse 9, And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men freaked out. That's what it says exceedingly filled with fear why because they realized they all had their own like little gods that they served right the gods of corn and the gods of like this and the gods of the grass this dude comes on there's a storm and they're like what god do you serve i'm the god who sends storms and controls the weather in the rain oh good thank you very much because we're all gonna die now that's basically what they're all thinking and they're exceedingly afraid and they said to him what is this that you have done for the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you? Like, what are we supposed to do now, man? That the sea may quiet down for us, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it's because of me that this tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, Notice it's a capital L. They're not praying to their gods anymore. Whose God are they praying to? Jonah's, our God. That's right. Oh, Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us an innocent blood for you, oh, Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. Don't be mad, but we're going to throw your prophet overboard. Okay, just the. But look what happens. They picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they were, they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. When Scripture says they made vows, it basically means they gave their lives to God. <laughs> they took Jonah and like, sorry about your luck, man. We're tossing you. Threw him overboard. The sea stopped. Now pause. We have this way of reading Scripture that we read it kind of from like a like a mythological perspective, and we don't realize the reality of that historical story. So what I want you to get is that when scripture says that they actually threw Jonah into the sea during a storm and the storm stopped, how crazy that moment was. Just, can you just go there with me for a minute? Like the sea, you think you're going to die. It was like the scene from the Titanic and the violin players are like, we're going down with the ship, right? And everybody's about to die. And Kate Winslet's like throwing the guy, there's no room on here. Yes, there is. You could have saved him too. Anyway, that whole thing, right? And... um, and like, oh, Jonah's like, just throw me overboard. And they do, and then the storm stops. No, this is the funny thing. Like, the storm stops. There's the boat. Like, the boat is probably in clear view, and there's just Jonah just bobbing up and down in the water. You know, there's that awkward moment when everybody on board's like, should we, like, get him now? Or... And the one dude's like, no way, man. He's not getting back on this boat, or I'm throwing you off too, right? Now, think about the reality of that moment. And 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 so that Jonah is in the middle of the sea. He's going to die. He's going to drown. And then something worse than drowning happens. <laughs> Look at verse 17. And just just once again, from a reality standpoint, just get this. This is crazy. Jonah's about to drown. And then this happens. Verse 17 And the Lord appointed a great fish. Could be translated as whale, could be translated as great sea creature however you want to translate it there that's what scripture does as a great fish to swallow up jonah and jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights wow just the reality of that jonah's about to die he's drowning he's like he's he's come to grips with that right i've never almost died i haven't had one of those experiences i hope i don't um but I've, i've heard that when you're in one of those situations and you're about to die. You come to like a place of kind of like peace where you're like, all right, I'm giving up. Like, I can't swim any further. I'm, I'm going to drown. Jonah's at that moment, as we would read in his prayer in the next chapter, he's at that moment where he's like, I've, I've been given over to the fact that I'm going to drown. And then what happens? A huge whale comes and eats him. That's really funny to me. I don't, I don't know why. Like, all right, I've given it up to you, Lord. I'm going, to oh my gosh, what am I? Being eaten alive, right? By an animal. And that's crazy. But it stems from this issue of this, this misunderstanding of who God is. And if you take a notes this morning, maybe write this down. God is three things. Three things that Jonah maybe missed out on knowing about God. Number one, God is omnipotent. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He is the definition of power. God commands the seas. God commands the wind. It even says that God anointed or appointed this fish, anointed and appointed. That'll preach. That's a good message right there. The fish that was anointed and appointed. Anyway, um, he appointed this fish to go and swallow up Jonah. God is all powerful. He's omnipotent. Number two, God is omniscient. He's all knowing. There's nothing that God does not know. There's nothing that God does not know. He's omniscient. And the third thing, obviously the thing that Jonah missed out on the most when he thought he was hiding from the presence of God that he could escape from it, is that God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. Now, don't misunderstand this. I'm not saying from a pantheistic standpoint that God is in everything. That's not true. God is not in the trees. God is not in the bunnies. God is not in the sunflowers, right? It's not what I'm saying. That's a pantheistic standpoint. Uh, way of looking at God. God is in everything. That's not true. God is everywhere. He's not in everything, which makes it so special and incredible that God chooses to dwell in us, right? So God is not in everything apart from those who believe him. And even Psalm 139, 7 through 10 says, where can I hide from God's presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my beds in the depths, you're there. If I go to Sheol, the realm of the dead, if I go to hell, you're in hell, you're there. Where can I go? I can't go anywhere. You can't escape God's presence even in the belly of a whale. Now, the reality, let's bring this back into reality a little more because I want to take you there. Picture this moment being swallowed by a fish because I I think in terms kind of of like pictures and movies. I don't don't know why. That's how my brain works. And um, so I wonder if you think the same thoughts that I think when I think about this um, (laughs) thought. Yeah. Um, I think when we think about Jonah, we think about Pinocchio. You know that that cartoon, like Pinocchio, where, like, there's an old man and, like, a cricket, and they're all on this little, like, raft with a cat, and they all go, they get swallowed inside of a whale. And then he, like, lights up his torch, right? And what? They're, like, in this great cavern, this big cavern and this big, like, they're in the belly of a whale, and they're kind of, like, floating around for days. They're fishing inside of a whale to catch food, right? Just for the record... If you went inside of a whale, you're not going to be fishing for your next meal. Like, oh, I hope we get out of here, right? You're, you're, you're being digested. That's what's taking place. And, and so scientists would say that literally Jonah would have been on his back and the, 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 way, the stomach of the whale would have been pressed up against his, his face. So it would have contracted to, to kind of start to squeeze him a little bit. And the gastric juices inside of the whale, the acidic juices that are there to start digest, would actually have begun to um, start digesting Jonah. And there was a man actually in the late 19th century who was, who was swallowed by a whale accidentally, which, boy, that is going to be a great story for anybody, right? Um, so he was on a whaling boat, got um, hit overboard, and he fell into a whale's mouth. And so the whale didn't intentionally, like, come up and eat him, but he fell straight. And it says that he fell straight into the whale's mouth. He didn't realize it. And it said that as he was going down, he put his hands out to the side, and he could feel that he was sliding down something slimy and slippery where the walls contracted when he touched them. Yeah, the, the, the whale's esophagus. Crazy, right? And so all the whalers were like, oh, my gosh, our friend is in a fish, like a huge whale. Let's get him. And the, and the whale goes underwater, and they can't find him. They chase this thing for, like, 24 hours. The next day they find this whale, they harpoon it, drag it on board, slice the thing open, cut open the whale's belly, out rolls their friend alive, right? But the crazy thing about it is his skin is all bleached, his hair is like hanging off, and he is blind, and he's, he's a little bit crippled because he's been like crunched up and being contracted in a whale's stomach. This is the reality of what it's like. Not like a leisurely vacation fishing inside of a whale, with a doll that came to life okay just for the record right this is the reality of of what happened and then jonah begins to offer up this prayer and if you read i'm going to generalize in chapter two for us to save his time but jonah starts to begin he begins to pray and he begins thanking god thank you for saving me i was i was i was near the pits of sheol the, the realm of the dead i was as good as dead and you came and you rescued me you sent this mode of transportation to take me where you want to go i will go i'll go I'll do what you want me to do. And so after three days and three nights inside of this whale, what happens? Well, we read in Jonah chapter two. let's uh, see here 2, chapter 2, verse 10, <laughs> in one of the most vivid verses, ch- chapter 2 verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. So not only did God appoint this fish to eat Jonah, it also appointed him to take him where God wanted him, to go now think about that god appointed this fish to take jonah from where he was the opposite direction to where he wanted him to go and he pukes him up on shore throws him up on shore now now keep in mind here if you're jonah even if you're surrendered you're like okay god i'm i'm good i'm gonna go do what you want me to do and then but there's no lapse in time here look at chapter three (laughs) chapter three god's just all over him it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. It's funny. There's no hesitation this time. I don't know why, right? What do you do? You send a bird next time? Like, really? Now, picture Jonah. Here's the reality. Back to reality here. Here's the reality of this moment. Jonah's walking into a large city of people that hate him and want to kill him, but he's walking in alone clothes, if they're there, they're tattered, skin bleached, blistered, maybe partially blind, crippled, hair and skin rotting off. Dude looks like an extra from The Walking Dead, (laughs) getting ready to go to a Billy Graham crusade. You see what I'm saying? Kind of crazy, right? And he goes to proclaim the message of God. Look at what he says here. He says this in verse 3. So Jonah rose and went... Verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called out for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. this city begins to repent. This city of killers and murderers and thieves who take pride and joy in, in, in torturing women and children begins to repent and turn to God from this zombie Preacher. Verse six, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and satin ashes. This is repentance in Old Testament style. And he fasted, and I'm sorry, and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Fasting. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that maybe we won't perish. We may not perish. Verse 10. I love the heart of God. In this, Look at this. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster That he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. God, in an epic display of love, changes his mind. Because of Jonah's message. Now if you are Jonah, you would have to think, wow. Wow, God used me to save an entire people group. But this isn't what Jonah does. Jonah, look at this, in chapter 4. Here's Jonah's reaction. Look at this. This is crazy. Dude's already been swallowed by a whale, been saved by God, puked up on shore, saved a city, basically, and this is his reaction. Chapter 4, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. What's wrong with this guy? It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, this is, is not this what I said when I was in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And I love this next part. Therefore now, O Lord, just take my life from me for it's better for me to die than to live. Can you think of any worse whining than that? (laughs) You're going to ground me this weekend? Just kill me now. Just take my life. I'm done. Life doesn't even matter. Literally comes off sounding like an eight-year-old to God, to God, to God, to the God of the universe. And God goes on in chapter 4, verse 11 to say, Well, Jonah, there's 120,000 people in Nineveh and I pity them. Should I not pity them? Should I, should I not be excited that they, they came to me and you're angry? You're angry with me? And Jonah says, This is why I didn't want to go in the first place, God. I knew you were a good God, I knew you were gracious. And then you're full of mercy and all that kind of junk. You're going to save people. I knew it. That's why I didn't want to come here. This really shows the humanity of Jonah in this moment, doesn't it? really shows his humanity. Why? It shows the hatred near racism that Jonah has for this group of people. Jonah truly is the definition of a double-minded man, isn't he? He's a man filled with hate, preaching God's love. He's a man seeking judgment, preaching God's mercy. He's even a failure and his success, he thinks he's worthy of God's grace, but doesn't think others are. Now, pause. Because now here's where I actually get to start preaching. Okay? Because if, if I wanted to, um, I could, now would be the point in time where we would kind of tie this message up in the nice, neat, flowery, Christian, you know, package that we're used to hearing when it comes to the story of Jonah. We could, we could talk about any number of topical issues um, when it comes to Jonah. Maybe, maybe you've heard these preached. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, we could definitely preach them. I could do that if you wanted me to, I guess. Maybe I could talk. Uh, I could ask you the question, have you ever run from God? Have you run from God? Has God called you to do something? And like Jonah, have, have you run from God? Have you, have you gone the other way? Are you like the prodigal son? I could tie that in there and we could do something like that. I don't know, make an illustration. Um, Maybe, maybe I could, from this point on, I could, I could go the prayer route. You know, I could say, God hears you when you pray. I could probably do this one real good. I could, I could come up with something. I could say, like, something like, Have you do you feel like Jonah has, has life swallowed you up? Do you feel like you're in the belly of a whale? Are you praying from the dark? You know, I could probably do that. Probably get you going on that. Get some amens, stuff like that. Um, are you in a season of darkness? Do you feel like, yeah, you get the point. Um, but here's the point. Like, all of those surface-level topical sermons... Those all revolve around you, and this passage in Scripture isn't about you. It's it's not. It's not about you. It's not even about Jonah. It's not even about a man who gets eaten by a fish. This is a story. This is a book that is centered around God. 100%, 110%. This is about God god and it revolves around god a god with such great love and such depths of grace and mercy that we can't understand it and oftentimes we don't like it oftentimes we don't like it and that's what makes this story so truly legendary jonah was angry at god notice what he says he says, why should they be spared why are you going to save them i knew you're going to save them I don't want to come here. I don't want to talk to them. They're sinners, God. They're wicked, God. They're evil. They are wrong. They, 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 they. And Jonah reveals his contorted view of God's love and grace by believing that there is a them and an us. That there is a them and an us. But God never seems to indicate that there is ever a them and an us. Does he? Chapter 4, verse 11, he says, there's 120,000 people who live there that I pity them. I pity them, Jonah. I created them. I made them. I love them. I love them. Should I not love them? Should I not pity them? Should I not want them to be reconciled and redeemed back to myself? I made them. You don't want me to love them? You don't want me to try to save them? See, God doesn't see us in them. God sees people I get that God sees people and God loves people God loves humanity John chapter 3 verse 16 what does it say it doesn't say that God loved the world does it it says that God so loved the world God so loved the world turn to your neighbor and say so God so loved the world. He so loves the world that he sends his only son to die on behalf of the humanity that would hate him. God's love doesn't make sense. God's love is ridiculous. God's love does not compute to us. God chases after people that will never accept him. God sends his son to die for people who will hate him and reject him. And yet he says, I love you. God's love doesn't make sense. God's love is ridiculous. God loves the world with a love that we cannot even fathom. And we say, yes, amen. Amen. Wow. Yes. I'm so thankful for that love. Oh, pre- preach it. I love it. I'm good. I love that I'm filled. I'm getting my, my, my fill today. I'm thankful for that love. But are we? Are we really? In reality, are we really thankful for the love of God? If we were, wouldn't we show the same measure of grace that's been given us to others? Right? If, if, if my kids came to me and said, Dad, thanks for, for you know, bringing home pizza tonight. You're welcome, kids. And then they went and took that pizza and threw it on the ground and did a little Irish jig on the top of it. Would I be like, man, my kids, they really know how to make me feel good and show me that they're thankful for stuff. No! Right? We do the same thing. We do the same exact thing, don't we? Shouldn't we show the same measure of mercy that has been shown to us to others? Shouldn't we show the same measure of love that has been shown to us to others? Or once again, once again has the freedom that this love and grace afforded us made us lazy and apathetic to the world around us. Now we we might look and say, man, Jonah, what a jerk. God told him to go and tell those other people, the Ninevites, about him. And, and he said, no. He went in the opposite direction. Jonah is a hypocrite. Jonah is a jerk. What's wrong with this guy? And we walk around. We're like, man, it's really easy to cast stones at Jonah because he's an idiot. He's a jerk. He's a, he's a punk. What's wrong? He's, so dis- he, he's just so disobedient. Here's a question. Are we any better today? Church, are we any better today? Are we any better than Jonah today. You want a real sermon from the book of Jonah? Here you go. When you're in the mall and you're with your family and you walk past a group of women who are covered in head to toe from Middle Eastern wear, is the first thing that enters into your mind the fact that they need to hear about the grace of Jesus Christ? Is the first thing that enters into your mind the fact that they are as deserving as you to receive Jesus Christ? The first thing that enters in your mind? How about when you're walking through the city and you see a couple of the same sex holding hands? What's the first thing that enters into your mind? Is it the fact that Jesus loves them with the same love that he loves you with? Is that the first thing that enters your mind? When we drive past the clinic and we see a line a mile long of people waiting to pick up their daily dose, is the first thing that comes to mind the fact that God loves them and that they're equally as deserving of God's mercy and grace as we are? You want a sermon from Jonah? There you go. Are we any better than Jonah? And yet in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, we read about Jesus commissioning people to carry out the gospel in some of his final words. And Jesus says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. Now, I know sometimes the, di- the, the, the scriptures, the Bible can be difficult to interpret. And I, I really want to rightly divide the word. I want, to do, I want to be as helpful as I can. And so we read a verse like this, and we're like, okay, okay, okay. Now, what does that mean? Whole creation. When, when the Bible says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, to the whole creation, what does that mean? Fair question. Let me read it to you in the Greek. The, the Greek has a terminology here. It's paschitesis. katesis. Now, get what this means. I think this is really a lot of insight into this text. Whole creation, katesis Here it is. You ready? It means whole creation. That's what, that's what it means. You're looking for a deeper meaning? There isn't one. Jesus says, Go into all the world and tell everyone you meet about me. What else is there? What else is there? All creation all people listen to me church Jesus died for all people every nation every tribe every dialect every color every race every preference Jesus's flesh was ripped open and his blood spilled so that all of the world could know his love for them and the problem isn't the problem is that we don't see People the way that God sees people. Because if we saw people the way that God sees people, then we would love people the way that God loves them. But we don't. We don't see people the way that God sees people, do we? No. We do see in colors. No. We do see in, in, in nationalities. No. We do see in, in religious terms. And, and we separate and we put up barriers. I'm not talking about the fact that Jesus Christ is the only only way and that we should be accepted. I'm not saying that at all. No, 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 no. I'm saying it's on you to reach people with the gospel for Jesus Christ no matter where they come from or how they talk. It's on us. And Jesus Christ died for each and every one of them. We don't see them the way that God sees them. Maybe, if, maybe, maybe we're just scared. I, I don't know. What is it, church? What, what is it? Maybe you're scared. Maybe we're scared. Maybe... We don't think they're deserving of it. I don't know. I don't know. I just, I just know that we don't do it. You know what we do, though? You know what we do? We do this really well. We insulate ourselves in these safe houses that we call church with people that look like us, talk like us. This is, this is crazy. We, we still have churches that get caught up in, in judging people that, that wear jeans and have long hair and show up to church. Wake up. There's an entire diverse world outside these walls that is dying to know Jesus Christ. And yet we sit in here and wallow around in our little performance-driven religious Christianity and God is sick of it and he's tired of it. And he says, these things break my heart. These things break my heart. The fact that these people that I created and love don't know me breaks my heart. And the fact that we refuse to go and tell people about God equally breaks his heart. And we should be ashamed of it. We should be ashamed of it. I hope you're ashamed of it. I'm ashamed of it. This was one of the hardest messages to prepare for this week. I tried every way I could to make myself feel better about myself this week. Every way. But it came down to the very fact that I am Jonah. I am at my deepest level, at the core of who I am, I'm Jonah. I wish the first thing that came into my head when I saw people who were different than me was, man, how can I reach them for the gospel? But do you know what often happens? Turn your eyes, kids. Let's go this way. It's just me being honest. I wish the first thing that, that came into my mind when I see a picture flash up on a screen about, on the news about this person did this, to this person, I wish the first thing that came to my mind was, man, how can we reach that person for the gospel? But it's not. I don't even know that it comes to my mind sometimes. I am, (laughs) I am Jonah. There's a diverse world out there that doesn't look like us, sound like us, and believe like us, that needs to hear about Jesus Christ. Yes, amen? And church, here's the fact. Like, no amount of inviting them to church will get them to come, okay? No amount of inviting. They're not showing up to us. They're not coming here. So what do we do? Just give up? Do we just give up? Well, I mean, I guess it's, just, it's God's will, right? I just, they're not going to come here. Well, what can you do? If they're not going to come here, we have to go there. We have to. It's what we're called to do. I know that you don't want to. I know that you're scared, and often, oftentimes you're, you're nervous. You don't understand it. But You must. You must. What are you going to do about it, church? Are we just going to Sunday after Sunday just get together and grow a church of people that look, sound, and smell just like us while there's an entire world out there that doesn't look, sound like us at all, and we're just going to let them go by the wayside and then someday just pray and catch this plane to heaven and we're going to glorify God while, meanwhile, God's heart is just breaking for millions of people daily that are dying and going to hell. That's got to break your heart. That's got to do something, not church as usual. That's got to do something to you. Church, we must go to them. We must go to them.
0: Thank you for listening to this message from part one of our series, Legendary at Covenant Church. We hope you've been encouraged by what you've heard today visit us online at covenantchurch.us where you can invest in life change through giving or find more impactful sermon audio just like this.